direct from Fort Meade, Maryland, this is Dinfos Live. Welcome back to another episode of Dinfos Live. Don't let the mustache fool you folks. I'm still Major David J. Murphy, an instructor at the Defense Information School. Well, I wanted to say that we were joining you all live from Joint Base Anacostia Bowling for our first ever road show. Unfortunately, the weather has not cooperated with us, so instead, we're doing our show here in the studio. Regardless of where we do the show, though, I'm happy to have with me two members of the JVAB Public Affairs team to talk with me about their amazing mission at the base and how they've utilized DINFO's training to affect communications strategy for their commander. Please welcome U.S. Air Force Captain Callie Gratishar and Mr. Greg Hapgood. Thanks for having us. Great. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to see you again, Greg. You too. All right. Well, thank you again so much for being with us. I know we had a lot of stuff planned, so I'm so happy that you're able to adjust on short notice. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you for tuning into our program. If you're watching live right now, your questions and comments will be seen by our social media moderator, Staff Sergeant Kelly Timney. Welcome to the show, Staff Sergeant. Thank you, sir. I uh, heard you recently just got a new camera. Tell me about that. I did. I purchased a mirrorless camera so I could keep up and practice my craft as I'm doing more of a more administrative task. Nice. Yeah, mirrorless is kind of the way to go nowadays. It's the way of the future, so good on you for that. Well, if you have any questions for our guests, don't hesitate to ask them. Okay, guests, are you ready to chat? Absolutely. Let's do it. Perfect. Well, let's start out with introductions. Why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about your military experience and your PA experience. Captain Gratishar? Yeah, I've, um, I've been in Air Force Public Affairs now for 16 years. I started out enlisted and transitioned over about four and a half years ago. And uh, right now, I am the Chief of Public Affairs at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great experience so far. Yeah, I'm Greg Hapgood. I'm the Section Chief for Mission Partner Support at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling, 11th Wing Public Affairs. I spent 32 years in the Army National Guard and Army, uh, 26 of that in public affairs before I joined the JBAB team in March of 2021. That's awesome. Well, we're great to have you here. I know you have experienced some really unique situations at JBAB, uh, the first of which I'm understanding is a service lead transfer. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that is and how you approach that from a public affairs communication perspective? Yes, so in 2010, Joint Base Anacostia Bowling became a joint base. And at the time, it fell under the authority of the Navy. And for the first time in Department of Defense history, they transitioned over to a new service authority, uh, service lead authority in um, 2020. And uh, so now it's under the authority of the Air Force, and it's been a, a very interesting ride in not only standing up the public affairs office there, but also supporting the wing as the wing stands up as well. Wow. What kind of challenges come from not only the service lead transfer, but, you know, standing up a new PA office? So the first thing that comes to mind is resources, of course. And so just to give an idea of what it was that we went through, we really started from from scratch. So we didn't have manning. We didn't have equipment. We didn't have a budget. And so um, so we worked through the process really from, from the ground up, um, putting processes in place, putting programs in place, and uh, really that all had to do with getting the people in, in place first to be able to do that. Um, and so I've, I've just been really fortunate to have the people coming on the team as they've had, maybe not as quick as I would have hoped, um, but, um, but it's definitely been an, an interesting, very challenging ride. Wow, absolutely. Um, talk to me a little about the higher headquarters role in a situation like this. What role did they play and, and how did they sort of assist you in this process? 
I'm, I'm really grateful that in the beginning I was on the planning team with the Air Force District of Washington, um, and I had an incredible teammate, Joy Josephson, um, who really built the foundation and, and brought me in and really helped prepare me to, to be the Chief of Public Affairs. Um, and so, so that was incredible. We, um, we built the communication, well, she largely built the communication plan. I supported on the, there on the back end and then bringing it, uh, attempted to bring it through execution until COVID um, forced a lot of changes on that. Um, so we had that support from AFDW in the, in the beginning. Um, once it transitioned over, we had the support from Naval District Washington to do our social media platforms. At the time, it was just me, a team of one. Um, and so it was great to have the support from Chatney Auger at NDW um, to do that social media work. And then now I think we're in, um, you know, we're in the best place possible for a higher headquarters support with AFDW, um, working with the Military District of Washington, NDW, and, um, and those higher headquarters as well. Great. That's great. You know, setting up a brand new public affairs office is an amazing experience and something that very few of us actually get to have as public affairs professionals in our career. So tell me a little bit more about that experience and, and kind of how that played into your, uh, uh, your overall experience as a PA. So I... I, I say grateful again, but again, I'm grateful that I had the experience that I did beforehand. Um, you know, leaders who trusted in me to to work outside of my comfort zone, um, and for people who guided me along the way to to be able to come into this position and to keep some semblance of my sanity, um, while also bringing in teammates to to help build programs and processes mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it wasn't magic. Uh, it was a ton of hard work that came into play. The pre-planning, as Captain Gratishart said, was absolutely key. But then really it, it was for her to start to execute that plan regardless what challenges came in the way, and uh, she did a fantastic job. That's great. And Mr. Hapgood, you came in about a year into the process. What was it like for you, and how did you assist Captain Gratishart? So I came in in March of 2021, and you know I was from a culture of public affairs shops that are already in place, that were already fully developed. When I got to Joint Base Anacostia Bowling in March of 2021, uh, you know, everything was on the fly, if you will, because, you know, people weren't in place yet, a few were in place, and then we got a few more. Um, equipment hadn't arrived, or only some had arrived, and then we got more. But every day it was rewarding to see just a little bit of progress made. And, you know, that was continuous because people just really dedicated themselves to make things better a little bit each day. Absolutely. And I have to add too that it was really remarkable to see each person who came in, you know, there was that that brief sigh of relief, like, okay, one more person to, to help do this job. But then, you know, there was more and more to do. The the part of that that was really remarkable is is seeing that everyone who came in, there were things that they had never done before. They just did not have the experience. And it was so great to see the attitudes that came with that from every teammate who came along the way to, to step up and say, I've never done that, but let's figure it out. That's great to hear. You know, you've both been through DINFO's courses yourself. You've been through enlisted and officer courses, mm -hmm. PAQC on the officer side, and you went through PAXQ, the revision of PAQC. Talk to me about how that DINFO's training prepared you for what you had to do at JBAB. So I think a couple things uh, jump out right away from particularly my experience with PAXQ is that, you know, you, you really took a lot of time to work on communications plans and to develop those communication plans um, to fit your particular need, but also to make it worthwhile, whether it was tactics, the tactics that you used or you know, applying metrics to it to make it more effective. 
Um, but, you know, first of all, the research end of it, because the, the research is the anchor for everything you do in a comp plan. And so I, I think that jumped out right away is that we applied some of those same exact tools um, in our shop on joint based Anacostia bowling and continue to do so every day. I think the secondary thing I took away was the great networking and the, the relationships we've built with our peers um, across the PAX-Q course. And those contacts we use often. Uh, they contact us, we contact them, but I think everybody's got a different experience and different skill set um, that can bring some clarity to what you're doing and really help you. That's great, that's great. When establishing this new PA office though, how important was it for you to make aware to your leadership, to your commander, what your PA capabilities were? So I think in any situation that you go into, um, having the um, having your leaders aware of what you're doing, having your leaders advocate for, for you as public affairs, I think many of us know that um, you know, we can go into a situation, we can be confronted with leadership that is just not aware of what strategic communication, what public affairs brings to the table. And so we were really fortunate early on with our first commander and also with our current commanders, we've done a change of command since, that, um, that you know, they may not have had all the answers or they may not have like, quite understood everything that we, were, um, that we were bringing to the table, but they were very open, um, they listened, they um, and our first commander early on, he was very adamant about bringing me into the room as we were talking about the planning, the development with all of the group commanders, all the squadron commanders. So that way they knew, um, they knew me, they knew my ability, um, and they, they could have some level of confidence in that. And also they knew what, what public affairs could do for them as we were making this huge move for our wing and for our installation. That's great. Were there any remnants of Bowling Air Force Base or anything you took from the, the Navy prior uh, PA command that were able to help you as you set up this new PA office? So to give a, a timeline, so in 2010, it was Bowling Air Force Base transferring to Joint Base Anacostia Bowling. And so the remnants of what that public affairs office was, you know, we, we really didn't have much um, as it was 10 years under the Navy and public affairs operates, it seems just very different. Um, and then as far as what we got from the Navy before, just a matter of timing, um, there was an exceptional public affairs um, civilian there, Abby Meyer, who was holding down the fort um, on the Navy side for some time by herself. And so, um, and then just by nature of timing again, you know, she wasn't there when we did the, the transition to, to Air Force. But, um, so there wasn't much, but I, I will say, you know, it's, it was very interesting to see as we were transitioning the processes for, or the programs for public affairs or growing the processes for programs um, in public affairs, everything else was transitioning too. So, um, so what may have applied for Navy public affairs to Navy processes, everything on the installation was really changing. Wow, wow. Uh, I'm hearing we have a question from social media. So Staff Sergeant Timney, hit us. Mr. Thomas Yates asks, were there any unexpected challenges that you couldn't have planned for? That is a solid yes. There were, there were quite a few actually. Um, I think uh, when you go into anything, you have this plan and you think it's going to go a particular way, but there are always going to be these, these unexpected things that just pop up. I mean, the challenges that we had from getting space, getting furniture, I mean, some of the very most basic things we were really challenged in getting, and today we're still challenged in, challenged in accomplishing some of those things. 
um, getting people in. So I talked about manning and resources up front. Of course, I mean, everybody out there knows that, that COVID threw um, a huge wrench into um, the way that we communicated. So there was, there was that as well. We couldn't have anticipated that. And so um, the answer is yes, there were many things. Um, the important thing about that, though, is that I think um, once we had a team, you know, the team was, was flexible. They were willing to do what needed to be done. Um, and we stuck together. We figured it out. That's great. I'm ready to hear that. You know, unlike most bases that are Air Force led, you don't have a flying mission. Uh, can you talk to me about what your operational mission is and how you support it with PA Communications? Yeah, so at Anacostia Bowling, we, we have some very unique missions operationally. The Air Force Band is located there. The Air Force Honor Guard is located there. Uh, we have Air Force chaplains that support the Arlington National Cemetery chaplaincy mission. We also have a worldwide mission where we pick up and provide support to about 30,000 airmen all over the globe that don't otherwise fit into a specific category. And then also we have the Air Force Memorial that we provide public affairs support for as well. So those are our flying missions, uh, as you will, but very unique in the Air Force. And while you've had some unique sort of experiences, you've also had some more experiences that I think many of our public affairs audience can relate to. Uh, so for instance, you had to prepare a SME for a television news program. Can you tell me a little about that experience? Yeah, so that's something that sort of just fell into our lap. We had a, a family who had a very compelling story um, about their experiences on 9-11. And uh, it started with the History Channel picking up the story. Um, that was with our, um, her name was Lieutenant Bourne and retired um, General Bourne. And um, at the time, um, the mother was the squadron commander at a squadron commander at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling, and the daughter, Lieutenant Hannah Bourne, she was um, just a three-year-old mm -hmm. child at the Pentagon, and she was in the CDC. And so it was this very compelling story of of um, heritage, of tradition, and serving for you know this family, and also of mission, where this mother had a a responsibility to accomplish a mission while not knowing what was happening with her, her daughter at the CDC and the Pentagon after it had been hit. And so, um, so we had this, this story the History Channel picked up on. It continued through national news, and it ended up um, on CNN with Jake Tapper. We prepared this subject matter expert, so the, the Bourne family, for a live interview on CNN. And we've had uh, really a number of, of national interest items that have kind of popped up for us um, as Greg likes to, to remind us, anything in the national capital region can be local interest one second and then national interest the next. And, and we've certainly experienced that with a number of stories. Yes, you do have that from the proximity of being so close to the national capital region. It's very easy for many different media agencies to get to where you are. And they can get to where you are in the event of a crisis as well, right? And you all went through and experienced a crisis uh, during the past two years. So can you tell me about that crisis and, and how you worked through it? Sure. Uh, we had uh, an individual who had committed a crime in a local neighborhood and then decided that the, the next thing he should do is jump into a military base to find safety. Um, it was a poor decision on that particular day. Uh, he did scale a fence and uh, got injured scaling the fence. He was armed and came onto the base and so became an armed intruder um, on our base. So it kind of um, 
went forward from there. I'm going to kind of let you take the piece of it, what happened next, Callie. Sure. So, um, so just convenient timing. Um, we, we just happened to train a couple of weeks prior, practicing our active shooter checklist. And so, um, so once we got news that this was occurring on our installation, we had an armed base intruder. We pulled the, the nearest like checklist and just started running it. And um, we had news that was coming to our installation gates. Um, we had news that was calling um, number of media outlets that were very interested in this conflict that was happening right in the heart of Washington, D.C. And um, it was very... Um, I would say rewarding as a team to see a lot of this unfold and people taking, you know, taking action, taking responsibility, taking direction, and things working out very well. And um, it was also, I would say, an opportunity, looked at it as an opportunity to train while we were in the midst of this, um, this crisis as well. So, um, so Greg went out and, and met the, the media, but he brought along someone, um, another civilian who had no DOD experience at that time, one of our new hires. And so, um, so that really was, um, was our first moment where we practiced, uh, well, it wasn't practiced, where we executed crisis communication as a team um, while we're also trying to just develop ourselves as a team. Yeah, and the byproduct of that event was we created relationships with media there that we hadn't you know, previously had any connectivity to. And just from that moment forward, our relationships really grew. Uh, and because of that, and they saw the way that we handled the media, we provided them with compelling storylines, took good care of them, um, that they came to us again and again and again in the future for other stories. So it really it paid dividends that we couldn't really see at that point in time. And speaking of dividends, one of the things that we teach a lot and emphasize in the public affairs uh, program at DINFOS is evaluation. So how did you evaluate your success in any of these public affairs tasks? So we, we looked to the, the typical metrics um, as one would. So we looked at our Facebook metrics. We looked at um, the comments and how people responded just in our internal audience. But as Greg was mentioning, the building of relationships, you know, that sort of, um, that was one of the ways that we evaluated our success there too, where you can't really put a number to that necessarily, but it was very clear that the way that we engaged the media in, in that environment, in that crisis um, in that crisis uh, communication moment that um, that we were truly building relationships in this it was really a challenging media environment and so um, so we looked to, to both sides but really wanted to weigh the the tangible also with those more intangibles of of those relationships that we were able to build yeah we also you know did you know pretty thorough analysis from environmental scanning on the media that had picked up our stories and what they said about it and you know you, you can't tell things from vanity metrics. You have to dig into those storylines and say, was this a plus, a minus, a neutral? What was it? And so that that really kind of got us down that road about you know looking into those stories deeply to figure out was this effective or un, or ineffective. Yeah, I'm sure you both learned a lot when your time at Dinfo. So can you tell me what was the most effective thing you learned and most helpful for you as PAOs? So Greg had already has already mentioned the communication planning, but um, I would also add too that we um, I took a lot of documents. So after the class was over and we got all of our files um, and all of the trainings, I really took a lot of um, what I could from those Dinfos files and 
So I didn't have to recreate the, the wheel, so my team didn't have to recreate the wheel. A lot of that was in the media operations. And so we took the subject matter expert prep, we took the media analysis, communication planning, um, and those interview tactics. We took a lot of that and built that into our processes where we had none previously. And that was really useful, and especially for an environment like this, talking about crisis, but also yeah. for the national news that I spoke about, um, the numerous opportunities and that just kind of you know fell into our laps. Um, great opportunities. So, so that was really useful, um, especially for for those who you know haven't had an opportunity yet to to come through Denfos. Largely, our, our civilian folks that we'll be sending through soon. Absolutely. You know, DIFFOS covers a lot of material over the, the course and the time that we have with our students. Uh, but, you know, we can't cover everything, right? We can't cover every single permutation of anything that could potentially happen. Is there anything that you wish you'd been taught at the schoolhouse or that you had to learn on the job or through further training? For me, the answer is no. So I know that you can't fit everything into a single course curriculum. Um, and so I view that more of a, as a foundation. And so, so what I got from DINFOS, that laid the foundation. And then what continued from there was additional training, opportunities, getting um, you know, great leaders, getting me outside of my comfort zone. Um, and then also having that same mentality for my people that they get this foundation from DINFOS, but it's my responsibility as a leader to, to send them for more, to train them. And that's something that we were very focused on from the very beginning. We will do Friday training. We will do that. We will prioritize it um, because it's so important and so I think it's more, um, you know, I don't wish there's anything that I, I learned from, from DINFOS that I didn't get. Um, I got what I needed. I got um, the foundation, and it was really up to, to me to do more for myself and more for my team. Yeah, some of those things you just have to fill in for yourself out in the world getting experience. Like, for instance, community engagement. Hard to teach that at DINFOS with all the other things you've got going on. But community engagement, especially the joint base in the heart of an inner city, um, is incredibly important to what it is we're doing with this mission to, to you know, be good neighbors and to develop those relationships. So I think that's one thing that, that you might not get here at Denfos, but you certainly can get out in the real world by your own experiences. That's great. That's great. I'm hearing we're having another question from social media. So Staff Sergeant Timney, what do you got? Crystal Colby asked, in a new PA office, when do you decide to adjust slash focus resources to or from certain areas based on feedback and evaluation? That's a great question. Um, and it really ties into one of the most important pieces, not just as a leader, but just generally as a human, is having that self-awareness and also having that, um, you know, prioritizing introspection. And so looking at, you know, how are things going? How can we evaluate or how can we, um, you know, just assess what is in front of us? How are we operating? That's bringing the whole team in to get feedback. How do you think things are going? In the case of um, the base intruder. Let's do an entire after action report with a hot wash and talk about how things are going. And so, and then being willing to take risks. So, um, you know, if you see that something isn't working in a particular section um, and you need to apply resources elsewhere, then, you know, you, you make the best decision that you, you can with the information that you have. If it doesn't work, then you find something you know, you find something new to try and you just continue to try to, to adjust to something better, something, you know, newer if you have to, and in, or in some cases going back to, you know, the way that it was before. I think it's also incredibly important to focus on the commander's lines of effort. 
um, that we ensure before we do whatever mission that we look at the lines of effort and say, are we fulfilling at least one of these lines of effort? And that really, that, that lays out the roadmap for us with any project that we do. Um, are we doing what the commander wants us to do? So in that case, exactly, yeah. So. Um, you know, for Air Force Public Affairs, we have that command information, media operations, community engagement, mission partner support. And in a lot of cases, at least I see on the Air Force side, we put a lot of, um, you know, a, what do we say, eggs in the basket? A lot of our eggs in the basket of command information. And not to say that it isn't important, but, but what is it that your commander wants to achieve? And if it's that, if we want to communicate better with our internal and external audiences through that command information, then great. Um, in our case, there was a lot of focus on that media operations and really a lot more on um, the community engagement, um, the community engagement side of things. Wow, wow. You mentioned your Friday training. Can you tell me a little about that and any other training opportunities that you took advantage of to help make yourselves better PAOs overall? Yeah, it's, like I said, it was really a priority early on. I think a lot of us have been to those places where we have that training and it's scheduled, but, um, you know, something happens and, it, you know, things happen. But, um, but it was very important to us early on, especially with what we were walking into, um, that we needed to keep our eye on um, continuing to grow and develop ourselves. So, um, so what we've done, I think, has been it's worked out very well. We empower our youngest airmen to to provide training just as much as we, you know, we get it from the top, and um, and we use the resources that we have, what people are interested in. Um, one of the things that we have used too is Dinfos Pavilion. So when we look great. at, um, yeah, so when we look at things like social media crisis communication, I mean that's been a great tool to um, to pull information from and and share with the team on Fridays. Yeah, we also take TDY opportunities for our younger airmen to make sure that they get that real world experience. Um, like for instance, this fall we have a couple of airmen going to a tattoo in Germany, mm -hmm. but we've also done defense POW, MIA, accounting agency missions, um, and other types of things in other places in the world. So those TDYs, though, really help them develop those skills that they'll need out in the real world. And then bring them back. And bring them back. That's right. It's amazing. Maybe Dinfos Live can be part of your training curriculum going forward, <laughs> huh? Uh, just set it all up and everybody can watch it at the same time. But uh, I hear we have another question. Staff Sergeant? We do. Lieutenant Jason Barnes, he asks, how is it managing a public affairs office and performing normal functions of a public affairs office while also standing it up? Can I go with a one word answer and just say wild? <laughs> Certainly very challenging, I would say. Yeah. Um, I don't know what other services say, but the Air Force has this, we'll build the plane or fly, build the plane as we fly it. Um, not my favorite saying, but that's essentially what we've done. Um, from a very early point, really from the beginning, we were expected to execute as a fully functional public affairs office. Um, part of that was managing expectations with our commander and then with us just on the team in general. But, um, but certainly very challenging. The biggest piece of that though, I would say, is managing expectations. So what is it that we can accomplish with the people that we have and with the resources that we have? And I think also having a strong employment plan that lays out in writing what it is we can and can't do with the capabilities that we currently have. Mm -hmm. From your perspective, what do you think has been the biggest difference between serving as a PA officer on a joint base versus a single service base? You know, I think a lot of it really comes down to terminology because, you know, most bases today are more than just a single service. They have other entities that sit on that base. 
Um, but for us, I mean, you come into work every day and you think about what you are. And you look across our base, we have all services represented and you know, approximately 70 mission partners. So it, it's very easy to get into a joint mindset when you're surrounded by all these other folks that do other things, other services, other uniforms. So I, I think it really comes down to you know, having a very open mind, learning what the other services find important, trying to understand their language, and, and really seek out opportunities to help tell their stories, amplify what it is they're doing, and learn you know, a little bit about each of these agencies so you can talk intelligently about them when you need to. Yeah, from my personal experience, it's been having to switch between sometimes having an Army commander versus an Air Force commander versus a Navy commander, et cetera, uh, but definitely having to understand and know all of the service regulations with regard to public affairs uh, rules and policy. So that's been pretty interesting for me personally. But I want you to think about the last 24 months, look back over it, and tell me, what would you do differently if you were standing up a PA office today? Yeah, so that's, um, I'll take that first. I was in it for the full 24 months, um, for the, yeah, a little bit over two years actually now. And um, I would say a big piece of that, especially as I'm, I'm on my way out to my next assignment, um, a lot of reflecting going on. Um, one of the things that I've, um, I've hit on most as I'm reflecting is, is thinking about the way that, that I, I presented myself in, in building up this, this installation. I think that um, we can all relate to those times where we've had to sprint. It's a, an operation, an exercise, or we're deploying, and we know during that time frame we're going to have to move fast, and we're going to have to do things well, and we're going to have to be flexible, right? And that is a sprint. And so um, what I, I don't think that I did well early on is think of it as more of a marathon. And, um, and I, I also think that we um, or at least I, sorry, um, the way that I came uh, to the table with that, I think that that, that affected the team too, which is, um, which is challenging. And that's the internal pressure, not to, not to mention the external pressure too of always having to be an advocate for public affairs, training and teaching and educating our senior leaders on what it is that we do and what we bring to the table. And um, you know, all of those external pressures of, of being able to, to execute public affairs every day. So that's what I think of when I think of the last 24 months, just managing expectations, um, setting a good pace and viewing it as really a marathon. It's been, um, it's been a little over two years and we're still building. And, um, but I think that we're in a more um, manageable place and certainly have more people. So it's nice too. Yeah, totally agree with everything Captain Gratishar just said. The only thing I might add is that um, on, the, on the reflection piece is that we don't step back enough. We're so busy executing and focused on being operational tactically that we forget to step back a little bit and look at what we've done and try to say, is that effective? Is it ineffective? How could we do it better? How are we treating people? Are we being hard on people or are we being easy on people? I mean, because again, you know, this is going to go on for quite a while. So it's important that we are, you know, using our resources correctly and that includes people power. You know, that, that people are employed well and they don't feel like they're wrung out, um, but they've, they've got enough to do. So, I mean, you got to find that balance about get, getting them enough to do, but don't overload them too much that you burn them out. So I, I would totally agree with everything you just said. Yeah, absolutely. No, wise words, wise words. And I don't want to say we're going viral, but we do have another question from social media. We do. Staff Sergeant Dan Ellen Bogan asks, what do you think of when it comes, when you're, turning over such a new shop um, to new staff, 
what do you have for them? What advice, what comes to mind? I've actually had this conversation numerous times in, in the last couple of weeks because a lot of the team just across the wing is, um, you know, they're transitioning to the, to the newer folks coming in. And so um, I would say just having some sort of perspective um, for me and what my expectations were and what I thought it was going to look like at the two-year period, it doesn't look like that. A lot has changed. COVID happened. And so... Um, so it's not what I thought that I was going to be turn, turning over um, to my replacement. However, um, you know, sharing that perspective and letting them know, hey, you know, you're going to have these plans and there are these things that you're going to want to do. Some of them are going to work out really well. Some of them might die out very quickly. And there might be a lot of things there in the middle. So just um, it goes back to the expectation management, too, as those new folks come on, hey, you know, like go move forward. Yes, make it better than what it is that, you know, that we made it as the initial team, um, but also, you know, be kind to yourself that some things aren't going to work out, some things are, um, but in the end, you're going to leave it a lot better than, you know, than when I handed it over. Yeah, and I think utter flexibility mm -hmm. because all the things you just said are true, and then also you're going to have opportunities come up that you never anticipated, and you have to figure out what's the value here to us. Is it, What's the so what? Is this valuable to us? Uh, if so, let's nail it. If not, we need to pass on that particular opportunity. So you have to really sort through that and somewhat quickly um, as these opportunities come up and go away so so fast. Yeah, and the great thing is that your replacement will have Mr. Hapgood as continuity. Absolutely. So She is so uh, lucky. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, it's been an honor to have you on the program. Really pleasure uh, to talk to you all about what's going on at your office. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Yeah, definitely. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, I, it's been very interesting and rewarding for me to come on and have this new experience outside of my comfort zone. Um, but mostly, I, I just hope that um, you know, people have listened to this and they, they are able to take something from it that is useful. You know, if you go on to um, you know, stand up your own, I learned the term plank owner recently, yeah. um, become a plank owner. Um, or if you go into something where you just see that there's a lot of room for, for growth and, and change. Um, I hope that this has been helpful. And then just want to share some gratitude for the, the team that I have. I think that the JBAP team is in such a good place right now. And I'm so proud of the teammates that I have and, and how we've um, really we've survived and thrived over the last two years. Yeah, no, and uh, along with that, you know, thanks for the opportunity to kind of sit back and reflect on everything we've done. Um, you're so busy executing that you don't really take a, take a moment to take a breath and, and look at what you've done. And so thanks for that opportunity. Hey, no problem. Happy to do that. Well, that's our show for this week, folks. Uh, check out our show notes for any links that we discussed or any of the resources that we may have mentioned. And we'll, of course, be monitoring the chat for the next few days. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. I'm sure our Guests would be happy to jump on there and answer your questions for you. Also, if you'd rather hear Dinfos live instead of watch it on video, uh, you can download the show as a podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Just download that podcatcher and search Dinfos Live. I want to again thank our guests for taking time out of their busy schedules and their day to be here with us. And I want to thank you for watching or listening. And I'd like you to join us next month on August 31st, where we'll hear about the upcoming Dinfo's social media forum with instructor Kwande Hall, and we'll also explore implementation, the fourth part of the RPI process. Well, that's it for our show. 
I'll see you all next month.